Welcome, everyone, through all time and space to an all-new episode of Weebs on the Weekends, a podcast where we break down the anime news highlights of the week and give a retrospective look at anime that premiered 10 years ago. Today's episode will be covering the news from the fourth week of January 2021 and give our thoughts on the first three episodes of the 2010 anime Maho Shoujo Madoka Magica. Wow, that's a mouthful. So, my name is Jay Johnson, part-time weeb and full-time English language sensei, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Sam Martinez. So, part-time weeb and full-time automail mechanic, Sam. So, I have to apologize to you because I issued you a unfair recommendation of Redo the Healer last time, last episode, yeah. and I have to apologize because that series went somewhere I was not expecting, and it is hardcore seinen you know for an older mature audience and it does not shy away from graphic violence sexual violence specifically so have you watched so you watched episode two have you gotten to episode three yet i am caught up and that was one thing that was a bit surprising because when you had spoken to it to me uh last time you akin it to goblin slayer and goblin slayer it doesn't shy away from it but it gives you enough to realize how hyper violent the world is and in a sense uh comparing goblin slayer and this series to say horror nowadays versus alfred hitchcock when alfred hitchcock did it he did just enough to where you could fill in the gaps on your own you don't necessarily have to see it but you know what happened whereas nowadays they in horror films they sit and watch the event takes place and with redo of the healer you realize they do show showcase this poor healer's plight and uh how he was mistreated but they showcase it and like they you sit and watch it it's not just inferred and that's where a bit of the cringe comes from and the mature rating that you that that it rightly deserves yeah so i only recommended it off of the first episode because of how it kind of subverts the genre and we talk about deconstructions later on with our uh, anime review of this episode but yeah the first episode is basically standard fail fair but it does open with like a half naked girl so you're kind of getting oh okay so there's going to be some adult themes in it but again the direction that it takes does have goblin slayer-esque violence but goblin slayer kind of just sets us up in that first episode every single episode of redo the healer is all that goblin uh sexual assault death scene just repeated over and over again so you do get a sense of why this character is justified in seeking out their violence every single episode you get re-established with why their sense of vengeance or um, violence is necessary for the world and even though he may not fit into the archetype of the character it's not an isekai or anything it's just a fantasy story a dark fantasy story but you get that he's a dark hero because he's going through saving the world but through this intense intense sense of violence that kind of reminds me of Arya Stark if you know anything about Game of Thrones Sam is oh that... I remember Arya I I would say I, I I would agree with you there a little bit and in a sense of yeah because she goes off and she learns how to fight which it was it was a bit interesting because with her father her father knew with with, with wait for those who aren't familiar with Game of Thrones uh 
when because she's a woman and she's a noble they don't when she was growing up they didn't teach women how to fight but because of her propensity uh to how physical she was her father had uh egged it on without condoning it i guess is, is what i'm trying to say is it's, it's like he acted like he didn't know about it but he did suggest it and when she wanted to get revenge she went and she sought uh help to sort of hone her skills so that she can become more effective in completing that revenge i would say though like with this character instead of it's kind of weird because he is relying on his own experiences instead of he, he is sort of his own outside source of help in in that regard whereas right. Arya, she needed to go to a physical person a different school of thought to learn whereas with him he is sort of his own teacher right yeah so again like the whole original concept of why I've, i recommended to you is that he's a healer but his power is somewhat of gaining resources or getting experiences through the people he's interacting with or the people that he's healing because he basically heals them but also steals their experience as well as their skill set and then the the series starts off with him rewinding time to an earlier point where he hasn't become who he would be and not to ruin anything because i do i will keep recommending this to other people or um i would say like if you're looking at recommendations for like normies of anime okay you don't really watch anime what is easy for them to digest they're not familiar with tropes or anything that the genre entails and then weebs you know okay weebs you know what isekai means you don't you can get with the jobless reincarnation that's the granddaddy of the isekai genre kind of like how uh carter of mars is like the predecessor or flash gordon is the predecessor of all star wars but then you have like the degenerate um scope of anime and this anime the degens. yeah the degens that this is borderline of anime versus hentai and the un the censored version what is palatable but the uncensored version is just completely pornographic and this is why it was recently in the news that germany germany or russia pulled it from the streaming sites so like no one in uh, that country could really see it and they kind of um barricade that or barricade but also like rolled snowball that into other anime that has adult themes into it so uh that's kind of a new story but sam i actually have new stories for this week so you ready to hear some news yes let's let's go ahead and dive into the news right exactly so of course the time codes are going to be in the description as always so first up we have our anime news weekend roundup where we talk about the anime news highlights of the week so our first news story of the episode is the nominations for the 44th japan academy film prizes has been announced so the nippon nippon academy show association is kind of like japan's oscars and that their award ceremonies that they award categories of like best work best animation best director best screenplay best actor Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Supporting Actress. So the show is going to uh, premiere on March 19th of this year. And there's some anime movies up for Best Animation. So they are the 
Demon Slayer movie, Mugen Train, and also Violet Evergarden. So those are the anime, uh, I guess, er anime properties that are up for the award for this or best animation this year. The other ones are, uh, what are they? They are Josie, the Tiger, and the Fish, which is my recommendation for winner. Stand By Me, Doraemon 2, which is the sequel to um, the Doraemon movie, which the first movie did win an award, I believe, four years ago. There's also the, I think, Popelli of Chimney Town, and that's it. So there's five uh, movies up for best animation this year. So Sam, which of these movies have you seen and which you would give the winner for this award to? Dang it, I have the wrong list because it's not the 43rd uh, Japan Academy that we're talking about, right? It's the 44th? Mm -hmm. Yes, the 44th. So, yeah. Uh, so I have the wrong list in front of me. I was wondering why these movies were older. It's like, they're new, but they sound just a little bit old. <laughs> All right, no problem. Yeah, so right now it's Violet Evergarden, the movie. So I think we talked about Violet Evergarden before, and we were both impressed. It's by Studio Yefotable. So there's actually, oh, I guess there's two Studio Yefotable movies up for nomination this year for Best Animation. So I feel like that cancels those nominations out now that I've said that out loud. <laughs> So uh, that leaves the Popelli or Popelli, the Chimney Town, which, again, none of these movies are really streaming outside of Japan. I've been um, blessed or had the opportunity to watch all of these. So I would say that Josie, the Tiger and the Fish is what my recommendation for the winner would be, because there is a history of the Academy or at least these Academy Awards that they give these to like these very touching, heartwarming stories. Last year was Weathering With You by Mashoto Shinkai. The year prior was Mirai by Mu... Oh, how do you pronounce his name? Mu Morui Hasodo? Hasodo? The guy that does Summer Wars. And then the previous year, 2017, was Night is Short, Walk One Girl, which is the sequel to Tatami Galaxy, which we talked about <laughs> a lot of episodes ago. So, um, hey, finally came out with the sequel. Good on them. It's a spiritual sequel, so it's not uh, it's not a sequel sequel, but yeah. So th there is this like kind of uh, prestige to these stories that are like boy meets girl. They have a somewhat romance. So that's kind of what Josie the Tiger and the Fish is about. So all these are like world class or you know top tier s tier animations i mean we talked i mean studio Ufotable has two nominations like we just said but i'm giving it to josie and the tiger for those two reasons but also because of the director uh, let me not try to butcher his name but his name is kotaro mamura mamura and he's the episode director of a lot of anime that we know and never really heard of him heard of him because a lot of episode directors really don't get the spotlight like the series directors so He's done episodes in Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. He's done uh, episodes in Bokuno. Bokuno? It's the anime that you love. Oh, Bakuno. Bakuno. Yeah. Thank you, Bakuno. Yeah. He's also done, I'm thinking, um, oh, what else has he done? I'm forgetting. I'm blanking on the other ones. But yeah, he's a really established episode director. Now this is like his first film direction. So yeah. he's my vote for like the prestigious of being a first time director and doing such an amazing work so all these do have trailers which i do recommend that they're free on youtube to watch but to watch them in earnest is really hard to find so i think Sam, i have seen trailers for this one because i'm looking at uh images right now mm -hmm. she's in a wheelchair 
and it seems as though the aquarium plays a big part. Well, it's called a tiger fish, but sometimes when movies they have names, it's not so literal. Right, yeah, the translation, the English translation kind of muddles up the actual meaning behind the title. But yeah, so this director, now that I'm thinking about it again, yeah, he did Land of the Lustrious, that's why I know him. And the reason why you know him, Sam, is that he did episodes in Occult Academy and Star Driver. So he does Ooh. have this giant acclaim to being a well-rounded director. So I think their Academy for Japan is going to give it to him. But Sam, have you seen two of these movies? Because, as I said, I've only probably seen images of uh, Josie and the Tigerfish. Mm -hmm. uh, trying to think. Uh, the only, I've seen trailers for Violet Evergarden. But because mm -hmm. I didn't enjoy the anime, I didn't think to try to watch it. I knew it was going to be pretty, but because I don't enjoy the story in general, I know it's not going to be the movie that I'm going to enjoy. I'm trying to think, what were, what were some of the other animes? Or, sorry, what were the other movies that you mentioned? Yeah, so Stand By Me by, or Stand By Me, Doraemon Second, or the Second. So that's a movie that's yeah. following up to... It has the that blue-looking character, Doraemon, right? <laughs> yeah, the blue cat. The blue, like, kind of fluffy icon that everyone knows, if, even though if you don't know his name. But yeah, the first movie, again, won the award four years ago. So that is, like, in contention because the Academy usually doesn't like to give, like, repeats because it's, like, best in animation. Yeah. So if it's the same animation or the same sequel movie, then they're, like, less inclined to give it to it. But yeah, how? Oh, you haven't seen Demon Slayer, Mugen Train, right? No, I want to. They haven't uh, brought it out here stateside yet, so I'm a little bit miffed. But I'm, I'm looking at the images for Stand by Me right now, and it, it looks pretty interesting because it's it's like they took the CGI uh, 3D approach, like what Peanuts did uh, with their movie, uh, I think three or four years ago. So I would be interested in seeing that if I had watched the first one. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, yeah, so it's like the animation is always on point with all these um, recommendations or these nominations. So I'm not surprised that that did make it on the list because, again, you never talk about things that are pioneering. It's always talking about perfection in the art form. So yeah. all these are good. I mean, for the popularity that Demon Slayer Mugen Train got over the past, you know, a couple of months, given that it came out and was you know like really the first movie japan japanese people saw in theaters this year because the quarantine regulations got opened up and it like outshine um i believe it was it took the number one spot from spirited away like a couple of weeks ago but yeah so it's rightfully so even though like no one really expected like people in the anime community don't really expect anime movies to get recognition like this but i'm glad that these two movies violet evergarden and demon slayer did so on to our next news story. This is concerning Megalobox. And I know this you're a fan Ooh, of the series. So yes. This is a Sam um, targeted <laughs> news story. So, yeah, season two of Megalobox is set to premiere in April 2021. So this year for the spring season of 2021, it has the subtitle of Nomad. So uh, Megalobox came, the first season of Megalobox came out in 2018. For a 13-episode run, which you can view everywhere on Netflix, uh, on Hulu, Funimation, Now, and Crunchyroll. And what came out recently was like all the news about the cast, the returning um, voice actors. It came out with the PV, so you see 
Joe and it's some time has passed since the first season has concluded. And of course, this is an adaptation of the manga Arita no Joe, because <laughs> Joe is the name of the title character. So it's a boxing it's Joe. A, yeah, Boxing Joe, thank you. I was like, what is that Japanese for? Yeah, but Boxing Joe. Yeah, so Sam, are you looking forward to season two of Megalobox? I am. It's making me want to go back and rewatch the first one because I remember uh, the climax for the first one. It was so good. It was so well done. And at the end of it, you would think that things went well. And I saw a little bit of the PV. It has quote-unquote gearless joe he's wearing gears for some reason and as you said some time has passed so he seems a little bit older he let his facial hair grow he's still with the trainer that he had a tumultuous relationship with the previous season the thing that's a bit disconcerting though because with the way that the first season ended you think that he's at he's well better off from where the season started and however with the promo, it showed that he was back at the same spot he was at the beginning or a little bit lower than that. And because they and they, they also call him Nomad for some reason. So maybe he's just traveling around instead of saying in that same city uh, that he was uh, for the original boxing tournament. So I'm really excited for it. What, what about you? What were your thoughts? Because you ended up watching the show too, didn't you? Or you just sat and let, and let me talk to you about it. Oh, well, I watched it after you recommended it so highly. So <laughs> it does, it does have an interesting aesthetic to it. So it's something that I'm actually unfamiliar with, but I would say like, if you're looking for a similar, how it's being animated it looks like it's on the kind of animation style that cowboy bebop was done in so whatever that style is it has like that hard grain to it that you see yeah, like it the, is. It is very the mistakes yeah to the mistakes that the mangaka would do in the comic or sorry in the manga so i actually have to go back and actually look at how megalobox is animated from the studio but yeah i'm way interested in the story because it didn't really come up when we talked about fight scenes when we did the episode about Katana Gatari about like good fight scenes. I brought up Hawks versus uh, Ippo or uh, no, it was Hawks versus Temurai. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Hajime no Ippo. And that was kind of my standard of what is good boxing in animation. But man, the Megalobox boxing or the boxing in Megalobox is so outstanding and beautiful that you just have to enjoy and get invested in the and the execution of joe's story and like his you always root for the underdog i mean that's kind of what it's going for but giving him such a cap on his performance like not having this armament which most boxers in that world are going into the ring with and when you see like who's the main antagonist and he's like cybernetically iron man upped to his arms and wrists and you're like oh yeah i'm going to root for joe and then even switching up to saying that in this next season, he's going to be nomad. So it's kind of like the Captain America uh, parallel is that he's lost who he is. So you're already coming out with, oh, I can root for Joe again because he's no longer the king on the hill. He has to, he's fallen in grace or he's fallen in grace. However you he's say that. He's fallen from grace. Yeah, he's fallen from grace. So I'm looking forward to this season. Yeah, but. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. <laughs> so, uh, next news story. I get so, knocked down, but I get up again. 
Yes, and also something about Eight Mile, Slim Shady, and Eminem. But yes, so we have the ending of Cells at Work. The manga has officially concluded back on January 26th. So this is a manga by mangaka Akane Shimuzu. Uh, Chimuzu, Chimuzu, Akane Chimuzu, and it's only surprisingly enough, the Cells at Work manga is only five, uh, five volumes. Only five volumes? Yeah, so it's very easily you can pick it up. Again, it's by Kotakawa uh, Publishing, so very easy to find. It's in English publication, so again, something to support if you want to have a quick read and learn something about the body. But uh, it was originally published back in January. 26 2015 so it is celebrating a six-year anniversary this year and it ended on its six-year anniversary so this story is basically can you tell us actually sam what is the story of cells at work essentially we, we've talked about cells at work before it's yeah. think about osmosis jones except from an educational standpoint not necessarily focusing on the story between the characters but essentially having the characters act as physical representations of different parts of the body and essentially follow them throughout a typical day and you get to see minor character interactions from that for instance i was watching a bit of the new season for cells at work and it was interesting seeing the white blood cell uh, it, it's the I forgot what his number was. I think it was like forty three one one six. That that's how they identify themselves. Is they identify themselves by what cell number that they are. And in the beginning of the show, he was sort of stoic and cold. You know, just all uh, strictly about the book and not necessarily about interacting with the cells that he works with that this with the cells that he protects and through his interactions with a red blood cell he has become more open to having interpersonal relationships with other cells and you get to see this because he runs into a platelet that they call backwards cap because she wears her baseball cap backwards. And he starts to have a cute little relationship with her because she's not the best at what she does. So she's training so that she can do better for her group. And it's just very interesting seeing this uh, once staunch stoic character uh, inwardly uh cheer her on and does his best uh, to support her so that she can do her best because he uh, grew to the point to where he can appreciate other people doing the best with what they can. And again, it's more of more, more or less like a slice of life. This is what happens. What, uh, for instance, like if you bumped your head, like uh, this is what would happen uh in this plaza of cells essentially just like the ground would blow up and everybody's in like zero g not knowing what to do and they take it uh creative liberties to create forms of comedy like that it is a wide varying world that the mangaka has created because there's many spin-off series and i was like i was looking at the spin-off series and code black is the one that is 
premiering. I haven't given a chance to watch that one yet. Uh, have you? Not yet, but Code Black is the spinoffs to the series, but there's seven others. So I'm very interested if the popularity of Cells at Work keeps building as if they're going to keep branching out with these spinoffs. Like, they're very easily digestible. So the first season of Cells at Work is just 13 episodes. It premiered back in 2018. It's available on all major platforms. Again, major platforms just being Netflix, Funimation, and Crunchyroll, which we didn't get to talk about uh, Funimation purchasing Crunchyroll. So basically, it's saying the same thing. But yeah, so the other... Yeah, Fun Crunch. Okay, we're going to refer to it as Fun Crunch now. But yes, that the other spinoff series are Bacteria, Cells Not at Work, Cells and <laughs> Friends, cells, at, cells. cells and Friends, Platelets, Baby, and Lady. <laughs> so, what? Um, Baby and Lady? So are we in a, a dude's body right now? or uh, Code Black, I think, is... Okay, so... I think how it works again. I'm didn't. I haven't gotten a chance to read the manga yet, but I yeah. believe that the white blood cells, if they're male, then they're in a male body, and then if they're if they're if the white blood cells are female, they're in a female body. So like that. So I think black code black takes place in a female body, but the baby series side uh, spinoff series takes place in a you know of course a I would baby, think a baby. Body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like a baby yeah. So it deals with like all the platelets, not platelets, but uh, placenta cells and like gives you an education on how like the baby's body goes from like breathing fluids to breathing air so i really like that aspect of what i've read of the you know spinoff series so far and then ladies it talks about a little bit more about um what happens to the female body when it's like breastfeeding and going through hormonal changes relating to pregnancy so you're getting both sides of the oh that's the baby's biology that's the pregnant mothers and expecting mother and um post um natal postnatal mother's body and then the last thing to mention about cells at work is that the manga is ending has ended but its last chapter did talk about a word that we cannot mention you know safely on a podcast but let's call it um flovit so it talks about the flovit virus in the last chapter of cells at work so it is it is up to date with the current world so it's very interesting that that's the direction that the mangaka decided to end the series on. I, I did. I did hear about that. So I was expecting that to be in the anime. Uh, again, when I heard about cells at work, I didn't know that it was it was a manga beforehand. So it's interesting that he did end it regarding the flovit. So it would be interesting to see how he would draw flovit, whether or not it's going to be cutesy or if it's going to look like an alien. Or if it's it just just its personality, because that's one thing that the author has done was make the uh, different characters and the interpretations very interesting and entertaining to watch, even though they can be scary and somewhat realistic in what they do. Yeah, kind of like that Osmosis Jones comparison. That's why I wanted you to talk about the story, because I forgot about what other animation was the comparison but moving on to our last news story and this is the one that's kind of a news story not really a news story because it comes up very frequently in the japanese government but the japanese government is once again in deliberations about the copyright laws regarding cosplay so sam you actually have an interesting take on this that we talked about a little bit before the episode started so can you let me know how did you come upon this story yeah so 
I didn't really know about it until a few days ago. I follow some Instagram models, and they do a lot of cosplaying. And there was one in particular that is very what's the word uh very vocal uh, about her stances because she also lifts weights so she'll address people who say oh women shouldn't have muscles things of that nature and like that was my first exposure to it i didn't really get to read too much about it but like it seems as though with the it, correct me if i'm wrong because it seems as though that um like they're they're just trying to figure out what to do for cosplayers because there'll be times when you the a cosplayer you know really likes to work and they want to show their love for an anime or for a series so like they'll make their costume and they'll have fun and they don't necessarily have the capabilities of reaching out to the creator saying hey is this okay for me to dress like this character some sort of way? Uh, at least like posting it online. And then things start getting muddled up when they start getting paid for those pictures of uh, dressing up as that character online. And it seems as though like that's the biggest issue that the government, uh, that the Japanese government wants to deal with is just the handling of money and how the property itself is being dealt in regards to the cosplay community and it's definitely something that is that should be taken into consideration very seriously because people have made careers off of this for instance yaya han a big cosplayer in the community she makes her own fabric that she sells in joanne's stores and sort of helped push to make the cosplay community more mainstream so if they start to do some sort of tax or something like that, it's going to affect a lot of people. Right. The one thing I wanted to bring up to this you know, discussion, because I'm very invested in this because it kind of parallels what's going on in the United States right now, is that there is a bill on the floor right now about instricting or you know, putting strict uh, regulations on the use of OnlyFans. And that is a right because there are yeah because the situation is that there are a lot of people on OnlyFans getting so much uh, money off of you know somewhat of a Patreon not to talk about how you know OnlyFans actually works and like all the um, not no, scandalous that's, but that's you essentially know. what it is it's like you pay so much and I give you so much it just like with OnlyFans it's in regards to the pictures and the other things that they sell on OnlyFans. Right. So it is setting a da dangerous precedence if the government decides to say, oh, you're only allowed to make money like this certain kind of way that kind of consigns with our uh, certain social expectations of people. And that's the same way that Twitch functions. If you know anything about how streaming works is that you don't actually own video games. If you ever look at those old FBI warnings in front of videos, like you don't have the right to distribute, copy or... and distribute this property. Right. And video games have that same thing. And the reason that the video game industry has looked the other way is that they have decided that it's better for our property is that we allow streamers to show our games to, you know, because their it's audience. Gonna, because... It's going to make other people want to go out and buy it. 
essentially. Exactly. Like exactly. that. That's why I watch playthroughs on YouTube. It's like, do I want this game? Okay, I'm going to go and buy it. If I don't want this game, I don't. So. And that's why cosplaying has kind of fallen into that same category because the creators of properties see like, oh, they're showing off our characters. So, and they're like getting interpretations of it and they're making people want to pursue our properties in earnest and become fans. That's just part of fandom to have people dress up as our character. So that's not, again, this is not really a new story until it's actually a bill or is actually a mandate, but it's really interesting that it did have councilman Yamada, who is a spokesperson for the party for the freedom of expression of speech. <laughs> and he, he said essentially, Oh, well I have the quote here, but he said okay. it is possible to maintain an ecosystem that benefits both copyright holders and cosplayers fairly. And that's just the situation of how it's always been. So he's basically making a statement of keep things as they are. Or he's saying the obvious is that this has always been the relationship and the government is trying to interfere with something that has been working for a long time and will negatively impact a giant part of what makes Japan attractable to foreigners obsolete, essentially. So if foreigners can't legally participate in cosplay subculture, then that's a detriment to the historic, yeah, historic context of anime or cosplay in general. So very interesting. So we'll actually keep our eye on this, but yeah, that's our last news story of the week, Sam. So moving on into our anime review, our 10 year review of Madoka Magica, not going to say the very long name again, but it's basically magical girl, Madoka Magica. And Sam, this is your pick. And can you tell me why you picked this? Because this is such a beloved franchise to revisit after 10 years. So what got you interested in Madoka Magica? Yeah, I'll, uh, uh, real quick, because I know that uh, earlier you mentioned you gave a uh, correction from the last video. I just uh, remembered something with the last video. There was a character. Uh, uh, she was the ninja buddy cop for Wolverine. I uh, said that she was Lady Deathstrike. Uh, afterwards, I realized that she is not Lady Deathstrike, but she is an actual character, and she is a nin uh, badass ninja. So she is a thing. Just wanted to, you know, uh, show transparency and have our listeners know that you know when we do, you know, just just promote uh, honesty and things of that nature. But on to your question. Right. So the reason why I chose this anime, because when it first came out, when we were in school, I had watched it with the anime club that I was a part of. And it was interesting in the sense of it was very much like the Twilight Zone or Hulu's original show, The Booth at the End. Or the movie The Box, in the sense of it was a monkey's paw type tale. I never watched a magical girl show before Madoka. I think I might have been exposed to card captures a little bit, but most magical girl animes were off putting to me. But for some reason, I was able to digest the show and. Because I was able to do it, I enjoyed it very, very much. And because of its influence, as you said, it was held in high regard. I wanted to bring it to attention. 
we'll bring it to our attention at least give it its uh 10 year review what about you jay did you watch it before was this your first exposure to it what was your first exposure to madoka magica yeah so in the same vein as you is that this again coming out 10 years ago is a very bad time for us because we were in like the midst of getting like kind of advancing our anime viewing styles because like you go through these phases of being a weeb and you know 10 years ago it was kind of like right on the precipice of oh i'm finding people that actually watch anime like i watch anime and i can become friends with these people and oh my gosh that is so cringe dude don't do that you're making bringing a bad name for you know anime watchers but yeah so madoka is a it falls in that deconstruction area that we've seen a lot of in the past 10 years so again that's what's the like this is like really the perfect series to review after 10 years because like so many deconstruction animes have come out so like if you look at konosuba comes to mind daily life of high school boys most recently that broke down the magical girl genre was recreators back in 2017 but that what, was that first... was that was a good deconstruction but i didn't think about it as magical girls now i have a reason to go back and watch it again <laughs> good yeah because like recreators will like a plus uh anime that year but that was also the year of um, made in abyss i think so i think that's kind of what took it away from recreators for me because recreate sorry not to brag about but recreators re- highly recommend it but yeah my experience of madoka magica is ruined because you it's the anime that weebs will always say oh you gotta watch this anime and they then they immediately spoil it when they talk about it because they're like oh the spoiler is so good the twist Luke's father yeah i was like okay thanks for ruining it for me but yeah so i never actually saw the full episode and i've always lived in fear of the third episode of the series for that reason because i knew what happens in it and i'm so turn off from violence i get like a visual response and i got a visual uh, visceral response when i watched it this time so just watching the first three episodes i see the hype i would see that in our scale of sus and expect i am expecting the rest of the series because it's a very decent three episode breakdown so we have well to talk about well actually sam you tell me you tell me about the three episodes yeah it's your pick it's your pick it's your pick <laughs> Thank you, Jay. I just wanted to uh, let, let me talk a little bit about the anime. So, um, Madoka Magica, it was made by Magica Quartet, which was an artist collective uh, with uh, Kiyuki Shinbo, who was the screenwriter, uh, uh, who was the director, the screenwriter, Jen Urobuchi, and the original character design is Ume Aiko. And. It was animated by uh, the production studio known as Shaft, not uh, the 70s uh, gumshoe uh, CIA uh, detective, but uh, the company that had made uh, Sayonara Setubo Sensei, uh, Bako Monotagari, Nisekoi, and March Comes In Like a Lion. And essentially the synopsis of the anime is the main character uh, Madoka or Madoka Kan- Kaname and Sayaka Miki. They're high school girls, and they're living their life until they encounter a cat-like uh, magical familiar known as Kyube, and a new student transfers known as Hamura Akemi. 
and Hubei offers them a proposition that he would grant any one of their wishes in exchange. They will become a magical girl, uh, gaining enough power to fulfill their dreams. However, the new transfer student turns out that she's a magical girl, girl herself, and she is doing her best to dissuade both Madoka and Sayaka from becoming a magical girl. And that's essentially just the premise of the show. Uh, we won't go into spoilers, but know that there is a turn in episode three that definitely shifts the perspective of the show. And it is available on Hulu. Just talk a little bit about the acclaim uh, that you had mentioned earlier with some of the uh, people, because just uh, highlighting the uh, deconstruction of it uh, and how popular it was, uh, some uh, reviewers have uh, have this anime in high regard. For instance, there's uh, this journal journalist known as Matt Kamen who wrote in the... Uh, uh, published published uh, work known as Neo, he said, uh, quote, with its daring approach to a dated genre, Pola Magi Madoka Magica essentially does for Magical Girls what Neon Genesis Evangelion did for giant robots. Even uh, another person, Michael Pimento, from the work known as Bloody Disgusting, he says that the series uh, should be praised for offering a unique grim twist that not only shows that not only seeps the show in despair but subverts the subgenre and concluding that it's uh, one of the best works of anime horror presenting characters that must strive to find hope through profound darkness so I know that you mentioned that the violence is off-putting for you, but you are a horror fan or a horror aficionado. And from what you have seen, did Madoka do anything new in terms of horror that you haven't seen? Or uh, is there anything that you can say in regards to the horror aspects of the three episodes that you have seen? I hate all those reviews that you just... <laughs> you just read off because it fundamentally destroys your perception of what Madoka is. And that's because the whole thing about Madoka is that it's a subversion that you weren't expecting. I mean, if you look at studio chefs kind of resume beforehand and even like the first trailers of Madoka Magica, it just sells it as a card capture Sakura clone. Cause they're known for like doing like, Moe oh, so even, even even before it started uh, showing, like they were just hyping it up as it's a new magical cutesy girl anime. Come and watch it. Come have fun. Exactly. So just by like, I know. Oh, Blade that was that was that was that was that was mean. That was mean. So you probably have like these little girls sitting trying to watch Madoka, and they're like, "What? What is going on?" Right. And even the rating is PG thirteen, which this is far not a PG thirteen series, and Blade Disgusting does do horror, and that kind of ruins my expectation. Like I know basically the 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 plot points or how the story progresses, but I don't know all the details. So that just saying that it belongs in Bloody Disgusting is already problematic to ruin the surprise of what Madoka is. So, what was your question, Sam? Sorry, I went off on a tangent. <laughs> I was asking you about your uh, 
taste for it from a horror perspective if you just looked at the horror aspect right so if you look at it from just like oh that's why yeah that's why i went into my tangent is because saying that it's already a horror is already breaking what that's already a spoiler yeah already a spoiler so even though it's kind of out there that it does fall into genre of magical girl but then it also has the tags of dark fantasy and psychological thriller so if you're looking at how it does horror it's very suspenseful in the vein of oh what's that movie where you get a ghost by having sex with people um what cd scd what's that sexually transmitted disease std yeah yeah std ghost and the only way you can get rid of the ghost is by having uh sex with someone else and passing the ghost along and the whole movie is all of this suspense of a ghost just slowly creeping up on you and that's what madoka magica is it's like you don't know why you feel tense but there's like moments if you look at qb who is this like this cute little animal familiar but how it's designed is unnerving so it has like ruby eyes it kind of has like the standard cute animal mascot of the magical girl genre, but yeah. there is something visually off-putting. So in the first episode, the transfer student basically warns Madoka, don't become a magical girl. So there's already this weird hanging guillotine over the character is like, why would someone warn me about something that hasn't happened yet? And then in the same episode, we get like the QB who's also is his name is very close to QB, which is Nine Tails, which is in Japanese for Nine Tailed Fox, which is in you know folklore a demon. <laughs> so you're like, yes, uh, okay. <laughs> like even if you did know that, you know that looking at it in retrospect. And then finally, at the very end of the first episode, the QB's like, oh, I need to form a contract with you, and that's not how magical girls work. So even in the first episode, if you know anything about Magical Girls, which I'm interested that you enjoyed this, even though it's a subversion or a deconstruction of the Magical Girl genre, that all these like little horror elements you don't really see until the third episode. Like, oh, this is what and, I'm into. Yeah, when, when the turn happens. Okay. Right, yeah. And even and, before then, like the turn actually gets introduced before then because with all these witches, like the kind of other antagonists to the stories you have these witches but the first involvement with witches is that they're making people commit suicide so it's like you're already getting this creeping dread in this cutesy girl frilly dress anime but it's yeah, all everything's getting you. set up right yeah so like the horror is just perfect okay and it, it was interesting that you mentioned the way that qb Kyube was drawn because as I was watching it, I felt like even though the show it started off trying to be cutesy and uplifting, I mean, even in the first few openings, you are introduced to the witches uh, to a witch's labyrinth or a witch's domain, and it sort of just like gives you like that split second shock of what to expect. It's like, but then it's like thrown off as a dream, and you you dismiss it, but uh watching it it's as though uh the way like the colors are the tones and even the drawings even though the girls themselves they're positive and uplifting there is a sort of darker subtext or an undertone 
like like you said that they are trying to set up uh throughout the show to give you the groundwork uh to expect that you know not everything is as it seems and uh so i i guess did did you notice uh anything aside from uh the aesthetics and uh the um uh well no no uh you you mentioned that uh there was uh things that you would know if you went in uh as a fan of magical girls that and even in the first episode that madoka did differently so were there was there anything else aside from the contracts that jumped out to you and like this isn't magical girl something's wrong <laughs> yeah the first thing i mean if you're looking at so like you're a big fan of mecca i'm not saying i'm a big fan of magical girl but well, I mean, you're you're at least um acquainted with it you're familiar right yeah so like you can talk about like the standard fare of like card capture sakura like you said and sailor moon even like uh, Sentai, Super Sentai, Sentai, like Kamen, yeah, is like just magical boy, essentially. So like yeah. you do get like all these tropes and it's really interesting. Like if you're looking at a deconstruction, it only works if you actually know the tropes. That's why Deadpool would only have worked in 2016. I think it was released after we got a bulk of the Marvel Universe Cinematic Universe as well as with the DC movies is that when Deadpool breaks the fourth wall, making in jokes about things that we as audience viewers know because it's standard for the superhero genre, it makes sense. But the things that like work with Magical Girls, even from the 1960s, I think Sally the Witch was the first Magical Girl anime, which was back in 1960s. Same thing with how Astro Boy was like the first Mecha anime back in the 1957, I think, when we talked about it in our Mecha review uh, episode but yeah so like there's a normal girl so just talking about sakura in car capture sakura sakura she's a normal girl nothing special about her she has a good group of friends she's usually middle school usually a middle school girl same thing with madoka they're middle school school students there is a cute animal they meet in car capture sakura it's kiro kiro he's a little cute plushy toy looking thing with a fuzzball and wings there is a triggering event where in sakura it's the card the cloud cards get released and then she gets into a contract with kiro to form magical girl powers to save the world and none of that happens in madoka in the first episode like madoka doesn't even become a magical girl sorry to spoil it but like she doesn't even become a magical girl in the first three episodes this is used this is just showing what magical girls can do there's another character mamie mamie it uh, was she, weird because in the I, I watched the english dub like it was close to mommy the way that they pronounced mm -hmm. her name but did, did you watch the sub or the dub oh i watched the sub so yeah so yeah maybe i'm just misremembering it but it's like m-a-m-e mommy so i guess it is mommy okay. but yeah so you see mommy and then you see the transfer student and again the transfer student is introduced warning madoka not to become a magic girl but her second introduction is that she's a magical girl herself and she's attacking the qb so like you're already off put that there's no there's no like world event to trigger madoka to act to become a magical girl the cute animal character is getting attacked by another magical girl and then also the i, I mean she is a normal average girl so that kind of stands up but also we don't know what the witches are yet, so there's no clear 
defining antagonist of the series yet. So how it deconstructs like off these first three episodes it's a complete deconstruction of what we would have expected with the magical girl genre. That, that that's one thing that would. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that because in the first episode, they, I, I mommy, right, the second magical girl that uh, Madoka is introduced to, she is uh, telling the girls to take their time to think about their wish because uh, whatever they wish for, it's very impactful, and the fact that. Uh, you're making somebody sit down and think that that's one thing that I really think that I really appreciate about the monkey's paw type aspect, because even if you sit and you think uh, as much as you want about the wish, some no matter what's going to happen, there's going to be something that you didn't account for. And it's a different aspect of the magical girl. Like you said, they transform and, the first five minutes and then they're off doing the thing and when instead of having them transform in the in, in, in the middle of the fray right you make them sit think and really wonder if they really want to do this try to sort of take it all in make it a bit more realistic than fantastical that some of the other shows would normally have done was there any particular character or theme that stood out to you in these first three episodes? Uh, just setting up the the idea of dread that there is going to be some really bad stuff that happens to these girls at the end. So, I mean, we talk, we're dancing around what happens in episode three, but I do want to leave that as a, you know, a mystery for those that you know are listening and haven't been overexposed to the anime community and weebs that don't care about other people's feelings about shows but yeah it feels yeah. with even with the first episode like the dread that's building up the everything that's should be off-putting if you know anything about the genre even if you don't know anything about the genre like you said sam you picked up one like this is definitely horror building but you feel that these first three episodes are building up madoka as a character is that she's going to be a sympathetic character by the time she does become a magical girl. And like you said, the forming the contract and knowing what your wish is, is very important to who these magical girls are. And I think that's kind of what I got took away from these first three episodes is that this is going to be a bad situation for them. And they're going to, they're going to deserve it because they went into it fully kind of informed about it. So like the girl that's warning Madoka about not becoming magical magical girl and also attacking the creature that's trying to form these packs so it's essentially the devil <laughs> forming these packs like you have to give up something essentially or you have to have an idea of what you want and either the, he's going to trick them like a bill cypher kind of situation or if you see any demon in like the supernatural series there's always like oh i'm actually going to oh no you said it perfectly it's a monkey paul's situ scenario and that's not what magical girls are about magical girls are like oh no there's rita P repulsive and she's trying to take over the earth so i'm of course she's I'm going stealing to our krispy kreme donuts yeah of course i'm going to become a power ranger and fight for the good of all humanity but this situation is like no for getting a power you have to pay a price to get what you want oh so maybe it's like the law of equivalent ex exchange in full metal alchemist is that just because you get powers 
so you can fulfill your wish doesn't mean you don't have to give up something. You, it's not just, oh, yeah, I'm getting free superpowers for free. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what I'm getting away from the first three episodes. Again, I'm going to give the three episodes a pass. It's definitely I'm going to expect the rest of the series. But after that third episode, I'm going to probably give this a break before I continue. <laughs> it I feel like I don't think the girls are going to going to be like so dread filled, but I think it's going to get darker and darker and darker in real believable ways for how bright they presented Madoka and her friend. So, Sam, how about you? How are you feeling? No, I'm uh, really expectant. I have seen the series in, in its entirety before and watching it again, I do have a greater appreciation for it. And uh, one thing, uh, one quick question uh, before we try to wrap things up. I just want to make sure if it's something that's common in Magical Girls too, because with uh, Madoka, she seems really close to her parents, and they made her they made her parents seem normal and very easy to talk to. Is that normal? in uh most uh magical girl shows to have the main character have both of her parents and have both of her parents being supportive of her as well as each other again that is something i'm very weary about because that feels like a setup like they're going to kill the parents because that is very <laughs> much not ever the case for any that's like a thing that horror movies do they always take out the parents because of course the parents would know how to deal with the horror situation but now that magical girls kind of do the same thing you kind of see that in bleach is that well if you don't know how like their parents get involved in the plot but most you know shonens do take out the parent character for like either motivational reasons but with madoka they do present they do take a time in the second episode to say like oh i'm talking to my dad i'm talking to my mom we have a good healthy relationship that feels like a setup to tragedy so no that's very much not a part of uh, that's sad because i'm not gonna lie i, I was root, starting to root for the parents i don't remember what happened to them but not, now that you said it's like that's classic uh horror setup it's like we're gonna butter you up with this good character doing wholesome stuff just to have something crazy happen but no uh just to answer the question earlier i do expect it and I if I'm, I'm in the same uh, boat as you, if I want to go back and rewatch it, I'm going to have to pace it out a little bit because it does get deep, deep and dark in the trenches with the feels and the dark themes. All right, cool. So that's a expect from both of us. But you've already seen the series, but maybe with this episode, you've gotten a new like eye opening experience with what the magical girl genre is. So. That wraps up our 10-year review on Madoka Magica or Maho Shoujo Madoka Magica or also Porelli. Sorry, I saw Porelli again. Porella. Oh, what's the second word? Is it uh, Shoujo also? But anyways, yeah. But it's Magical Girl Madoka Magica. But yeah. Puella, Puella Magi or Magi. I, I don't know how people pronounce that word. I, I, I say Magi. Yeah, just M-A-G-I. Yeah, so Maggie or Maggie. Yeah. So before we close out this episode, you got anything to say? When a fox gives you a wish, soon you'll think life will be bliss. Unaware what comes for you, the bill is due.